Psalms 143, and let's read just verse number 8. The Word of God says, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Let's read it once more. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time you've allowed us this evening. You've brought us faithfully back into your house. Uh, Lord, I, I believe and I trust that each person that's come through those doors has come expecting to hear from you. Uh, Lord, there's a lot of places they could be tonight, but they've found their way to your house. I pray that you'd speak to their hearts, give them what they need, and encourage them this evening. If there's any amongst us lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. Lord, I pray that if there's any that has drifted from you, that you draw them back close to your bosom. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In the 143rd Psalm, we're reading a Psalm of David. It is a prayer. And uh, this is indicative, or quite, uh, quite typical of many of David's psalms. Most people believe that David wrote all of the psalms. That's false. He only wrote about half of them. Uh, the Word of God tells us many times when it is a psalm of David, and this one is a psalm of David, as we're told directly under the title of Psalms 143. The topic, or the focus, within the 143rd psalm, is the will of God. Could I say to you this evening that I do believe God has a will for us. I'm not a deist. You say, what is a deist? A deist believes that God created this world, uh, set everything in motion, and then reclined back upon His throne, never to care or have any concern or to bother with mankind ever again. This is a wholly unbiblical and unscriptural system of thought. We find that God is very interested in the things of our life. In fact, we find that God was so interested in man that when man had sinned and fallen, God was willing to make a sacrifice that can never be paralleled, a sacrifice that can never be repaid when He sent His Son to die for your sins and for mine upon Calvary. I'd say God cares a lot about what goes on in the lives of human beings. And then as we go a step further and we read through the Word of God, we find that God concerns Himself with even the most minute of details in the life of a man. Now, there's a lot of things that folks blame on God that isn't God's fault. I'm just being honest with you. There's lots of things that people say, I'm doing the will of God, or I think this is the will of God. I, you know, I was a youth pastor for a few years, and you hear it all when you're a youth pastor. And Brother Kerry can testify to that. You hear kids that are walking straight in the middle of sin that is black as the charred walls of hell and will tell you that they're, they're doing God's will. I don't believe that it's the will of God for us to sin ever, ever, ever. I don't believe God ever desires us to sin. I was reading some quotes in preparation for the sermon from Dr. Bob Jones Sr., the old Methodist preacher. And uh, today, Bob Jones University is not what it was when Bob Jones Sr. founded it. When Bob Jones Sr. founded it, they believed in the Word of God. They believed in uh, the infallibility of the Scriptures. A lot of things have changed in that time. But Dr. Bob Jones Sr. was known for a lot of his quotes, and one of them that he was pretty famous for was that it is never right 
to do wrong to get a chance to do right. It's always the will of God for us to do right. There are two facets to the will of God for the life of the believer. There is the revealed will of God, and then there is the unrevealed will of God. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, the revealed will of God itself has two facets. Both things that God has already revealed to us uh, through Him speaking to our heart, leading, guiding, and confirming things in our spirit through the work of the Holy Ghost. But then also many things in Scripture. Uh, you understand that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. That, can't, that means you can't look at it and say, well, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. And the Word of God is very explicit, and it's not just the passages that deal with the will of God that dictate who is the will of God, but there are some very clear passages that dictate the will of God, the revealed will uh, for believers. For instance, the Bible says, uh, "...in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." You don't ever have to pray about giving thanks to the Lord. You don't ever have to wonder if it's the will of God to lift your hand to heaven and to praise God over a matter. It's always the will of God. Let me give you a few more. The Bible teaches explicitly uh, that we are to be separate from the world. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate. So we automatically know that it's the will of God that we be different than the world. We don't have to pray about whether we ought to be different from the world. We know that we should be different from the world. So there are certain things in Scripture that are the revealed will of God. And I'm not dealing with the revealed will of God tonight, because if it's revealed, then it's already revealed. But I want to deal with the unrevealed will of God. I believe God has an opinion about things like who we marry, where we work, where we live. I believe God has an opinion about who our friends and associates are. I believe God has a very distinct and specific opinion about these matters. You say, why do you believe that, preacher? Because the Bible says we're to live by every word of God. In every circumstance of life, God has an opinion about what we are to do. He is to lead us in totality. There is not to be an area of our life that we compartmentalize away from the Lord and say, well, Lord, I'll handle this if you'll handle everything else. He's to lead and guide us in everything. That's the only way that the life of Christ is made effectual in working through us, is through our surrender to the Holy Ghost in His leading, so that it's not us that's doing it. God may be using our bodies to do it. God may be using our minds to do it. But it's actually the will of the Lord, because He's expressed that through the leading of the Holy Ghost. I've heard different uh, attitudes about the will of God, and there's kind of two different sides of it. And, you know, there's two extremes to everything. And you've got to be careful because most roads have a ditch on either side, and you can get in either ditch. And there's some that would have us to believe that God is playing hard to get and trying to be evasive about His will. There's some preachers that lead you to believe that, uh, you know, you, you've got to just absolutely pain yourself and you've got to absolutely, you've got to give all the sacrifices in the world you can give and you've got to pray a thousand hours and you've got to beg and plead with God and that even then He may not show it to you or if you've got one little thing in your life that's out of kilter that God's going to cast you off as though it's some kind of strain and struggle to find the will of God. I don't believe that's quite true. You see, I believe God wants what's best for you and I, don't you? And His will is what's best for us. I know that when I was lost and undone, I certainly deserved to die and go to hell, but God pursued me. When I, when I wasn't worth pursuing, God pursued me. 
And those that would have us to believe that the will of God is uh, some sort of uh, secret diamond buried within uh, the mountain of God's majesty and holiness, I'd just point them to the prophet Jonah who fled from the presence of the Lord. God chased him clear into the belly of a whale with his will. But then there's another side that would have us to believe that the will of God is something that takes no pursuing. There's some that would have us to believe that the will of God is something that God, He'll just, when the time comes, He's always going to make it known to you, and you'll always know it, you'll always understand it. And I think that's sort of an obtuse mentality about the will of God. I believe, I see too many people that miss the will of God to believe that the will of God is something that God's going to force us into. I do believe that we have to have our lives somewhat in order to know the will of God. You see, it's a lot like with a parent. And one of the things we've been teaching with LB, you know, we'll, we'll tell him. And, and uh, Papa and Nanny, they fuss at us sometimes, you know. Uh, and, and they, because we'll tell LB, we'll be over at their house or somewhere, and we'll say, now, don't go in that kitchen. Don't go in there. And we'll hear a grandparent's voice say, well, there ain't no reason he can't. <laughs> That's what grandparents do. And I'll say, well, the reason he can't is because I told him that he can't. See, after you've told him, it don't matter. He can't go in there. Elsie learns that he can make his own decisions, and he can't make his own decisions. Yeah, (laughs) you can hear him. He can't make his own decisions about matters. And in the same way, I feel that sometimes God tries to speak to our hearts, and when we respond in disobedience, God's just going to stick right there on that subject and right there on that matter until he gets our attention. We preached about it this morning, about Jacob wrest- or God wrestling with Jacob and trying to get control of him. And there's times when God would love for us to move on, but we can't move on. You say, why, preacher? Because God's told us no about a matter. And we're still trying to test the boundaries. And God says, well, we'll stay right here until we get this straightened out. We see it in the life of uh, Peter. I about said St. Peter. You're used to hearing people say St. Peter. Peter wasn't no more a saint than I am. Uh, I believe Peter was a saint, but I believe I am too. And I believe if you've been regenerate and saved and born again, I believe you're a saint too. But Peter, it was the same way. God told Peter, he said, to, to push out a little bit from the shore. Launch out just a little bit from the shore. And let me use your boat. Let me climb up in. Let me use it to teach others. And Peter had to exhibit a public obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, okay, Lord, we'll launch out just a little further. Then after Christ gets done teaching, he looks at Peter and he says, All right, Peter, now launch out into the deep. And the lesson that God was going to teach to Peter over this next few hours was a private lesson and something that Peter had learned in his heart. But you see, if Peter hadn't never obeyed in the first, if he hadn't launched out a little, he would have never launched out into the deep. And I do believe that the will of God takes some pursuit. I do believe that the will of God, the book of Job, speaks the fact that if we follow after God, if we seek after God, we can find Him. And the book of Hosea says that if we follow on to know the Lord, that we're going to know Him. And so I find, just as with many things, the truth lands somewhere in the middle. And we find in this passage before us four things that I believe we need in our lives if we're going to know the will of God. Now, this is important. Our young people need this. God has a will for their life, and it's the best thing for them. Our older folks need this uh, because God has a will for your life, and it's the best thing for you to know it. You never outgrow the will of God. You never outgrow the will of God. 
You may say, preacher, I, I'm 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. I, 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 you listen, my, I'm coming to the end of my road. I'm not at the beginning of it anymore. I got things worked out. I mean, I got my retirement and I got my life planned out. I know what I'm going to do. You don't ever outgrow the will of God. You always need to know the will of God. And so as King David is praying for the will of God and seeking the will of God, I notice four things. Let me give them to you very quickly. Look at what it says at the beginning of the verse. The Bible says, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. Can I say that first off, to know the will of God, you've got to have a time of communion with God. Now, I've heard a lot of folks, and, and, uh, and I know they mean well. How many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. Just love the morning. That's how my wife is. She's, we, uh, she, she's getting up 4.30 in the morning tomorrow to go work out. And I told her I'd, I'll probably, you know, kiss you on the cheek and say bye. I'll still be awake. Amen. How many of you are night people? Night people. There's my people. Amen. I'm a night person. I've heard preachers make a real big deal about where the Bible talks about in the morning. And I was greatly encouraged to hear what Dr. Tom Malone said about his devotional time with the Lord. Do you remember Dr. Tom Malone? Dr. Tom Malone said this. Uh, uh, somebody was interviewing him. A young preacher was talking to him one time. And he said, Dr. Malone, what's the first thing that you do in the morning? And Dr. Malone, with his legendary wit, said, well, well, well I wake up. <laughs> That's the first thing that I do. He said, yes, Dr. Malone, but after you wake up, the first thing you do, you, you, before you even roll out of bed, you start praying, don't you? And he said, well, he said, no, no, I don't, that's not the first thing I do. He said, Dr. Malone, that's not the first. He said, no, no, uh, until I've had a cup of coffee, I'm not worth anything. I've got to have a cup of coffee before I do anything. If you know him, that, that voice means a lot to you. If you don't, it don't mean nothing. But uh, he, he said, you can just pretend it's Richard Nixon if, it, if you don't know who it is. But uh, he, he said, no, I, I, I've, I've, I've got to get a cup of coffee. So I said, well, of course, you, you, you get a cup of coffee. Then you, you sit down and you begin to pray immediately after that, don't you? He said, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't, I, I've, after I've drank a cup of coffee, I've got to get in the shower. I've got to get cleaned up. I, 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 that's, I've got to do that. I can't do it. So, well, of course, you know, I mean, you go through, you get a cup of coffee, and then, then you take a shower. But then as soon as you get done, you get dressed. The first thing you do, you go into your prayer closet. And he says, no, 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 no. No, before I do anything, I, I always like to get up, and I like to eat breakfast, and I like to read the paper. <laughs> and finally they said, well, Dr. Malone, what's the key to your success? And he said, well, young man, it's like this. Whether it's before or after a cup of coffee, whether it's before or after a shower, before or after breakfast, the key is that at some point, you make sure to get alone with God. The truth of the matter is, there's some folks that's, that's morning people, and that's the first thing they do in the morning. And there's great benefit to that, you know it. There is great benefit to doing it early in the morning. Before your mind's on everything else, you can get up and you can pray. You can get ready. You can get that mind sanctified to go out the door. But here's the problem. You're getting ready to go into traffic, amen? So you're probably going to undo a lot of that. If you're like me, it might be late at night when you've got a lot to confess and repent. But one way or the other, understand that if you're going to know the will of God, there has to be a time that you're spending alone with the Lord. Nothing replaces the prayer closet. And I think, you know, sometimes I think that, that as Baptists, we are so terrified of being labeled charismatic that we don't talk about the witness of the Holy Ghost. There is a witness of the Holy Ghost that takes place in our hearts where God confirms things and reveals things to us because we've been praying, because we've been studying our Bibles, and God will make clear and confirm something in our hearts and our lives. And that ain't charismatic. That ain't Pentecostal. That ain't strange fire. The Bible says that His witness would, uh, that His Spirit would bear witness with our spirit. 
All through the Old Testament, the Bible says over and over and over again, I'm not trying to lock the inspiration of the Scripture to the confirmation of the Spirit, but, but it, it's, it's no coincidence that all through the Old Testament, the Bible will say over and over again that the Word of the Lord came unto so-and-so. And it's during that time of communion that God does that. A time when the entire world's pushed out. A time when the TV's off. A time when all the distractions are away. And we're just alone in the presence of God. You may do it in your living room. You may do it in your den. You may have a closet in your house that you go into. And I've heard of folks doing that. God bless you. That's wonderful. But wherever it's at, and whatever it is, make sure that you have a time that you're getting alone with the Lord. I'd say that we have to have a time of communion. But then number two, I'd say that we have to have a trust in His counsel. What does it say? For in thee do I trust. You have to understand, if you're ever going to know the will of God, you have to trust that the will of God is right. The will of God is never wrong. I don't know why it is that we're so scared. Well, I do know why it is we're so scared of the will of God. It's because our flesh runs us so much. And our flesh creeps up alongside us and says, you listen to God, he's going to get you in a mess. We find that was the case in, uh, in the Garden of Eden. Don't you remember in the Garden of Eden? Don't you remember when God had told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Satan came along and said, yea, hath God said. They said, yeah, God had said in the day that we eat thereof, we're going to die. He said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall not surely die, but you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. The Lord knows this. That's what Satan was saying. The Lord knows that in that day, you'll know good from evil. And what was he saying? He was saying, you'll be able to decide for your life. He was vilifying the will of God for them. It was the will of God for them to not eat of that tree. That was the will of God. Now, I'm thankful that the sovereignty of God uh, uh, supersedes when we don't obey the will of God at times. I'm not dismissing that God knew and was aware what was going to take place. But God gave a commandment to them and Satan comes along and says, God doesn't want what's best for you. Don't trust his counsel. You just do it your way. We might as well get it through our heads. The will of God's always right. The word of God's always right. If we can gain the will of God, we ought to be able to understand the will of God. Like I said, I don't believe God's trying to be evasive with His will. I do believe His will is a time-sensitive thing. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean, there's times when if we don't respond to the will of God, we'll miss the opportunity that the will of God was affording us. And then there's other times that if we knew the will of God before it was time for us to know the will of God, uh, we'd act in, in, uh, without accordance to it. We'd act uh, in disobedience to it. So I'm aware that the will of God is a time-sensitive thing. But listen, we've, we've shrouded this thing in mystery far more than it has to be. When God speaks, He doesn't stumble, He doesn't stutter, He doesn't whisper. When God speaks, He knows how to make Himself be heard. The key is that we be in such a place that we can listen. The key is that our life be in such state and such a, such a shape that we can hear the voice of God and we will listen when we hear it. It begins with the time of communion, but then we've got to trust what we hear. We've got to trust. When God has an opinion about us, we've got to trust it. We've got to come to Him and say, Lord, I'm seeking Your will because I know that Your will is right. We've got to have a trust in His counsel. Let me show you a third thing. Look at the next phrase. The Bible says, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. We need to have a time of communion. 
We need to have a trust in His counsel that He's right and that His will is right. But if we're ever going to know the will of God, we've got to have a teachable countenance when we approach the Lord. That's what David's saying, isn't it? He's saying, Lord, I need to know. Would you teach me? That's what it means when it says cause me to know. To teach. If you've ever taught in your life, maybe it was in a school or maybe it was just teaching, giving someone lessons or tutoring them, you know that that's the basic bones of what teaching is, is to cause someone to know something. David's saying, Lord, I want you to teach me. And I want you to show me. You say, what's the difference between this and trusting his counsel? Well, this is the difference. It's one thing to say, Lord, I know you're always right. But it's another thing to say, Lord, I know you're always right about me. David says, the way wherein I should walk. Not just the way wherein folks should walk. Not just the way wherein they should walk or they should walk. Lord, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. We've got to be willing to listen when God speaks about our life. And sometimes that's, listen, sometimes that's easy and sometimes it's wonderful and sometimes it's a blessing. And there's been times that God has spoken to me and like a light shining through the blackest of midnights, it's like God shines a ray of sunshine into a dark situation and God clarifies some things and we just, we just have church in the prayer closet. I've had times like that. But then there's other times when I don't want to hear what he's got to say to me. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, I wanted to hear from you when I started this thing out. But if you was going to talk to me that way, I would have just stayed out of the prayer closet. Times when I think to myself, well, when I started this thing out, I wanted to know the will of God. But I didn't know that knowing the will of God would would mean God revealing to me how stubborn I've been. Would be God revealing to me how wicked I've been would be God revealing to me all the unconfessed sin and unrepented of sin in my life that's got to be dealt with before He can lead me and show me. I didn't know it was going to mean that. And sometimes in situations like that, we have to stop and ask ourselves, is our countenance teachable? Do we have a teachable spirit? What about when God tells us things that we don't agree with? I don't know about you, friend. You may be real spiritual, but me and God don't always agree. That's just the truth. There's times God says, this is the way to do it. I say, well, Lord, I'm not sure about that. (laughs) I don't know if that'll work, Lord. Preacher, what do you do in situations like that? You just raise your hand up and you say, but God, you're God, and I'm not. It's that simple. Lord, you're God, and I'm not. And if you say this is the right way, then I trust that this is the right way and I'll do things your way. A lot of us never grow in our spiritual walk. You know why we never grow? Because we're not having that close communion with the vine. Branch ain't going to grow unless she's hooked up to the vine. A lot of times we've not been in communion with the vine and so we're not growing. We're growing stagnant and we're growing stale. We don't understand why, but it's because we've neglected the prayer closet. We've neglected the Word of God. We've gotten distracted. We've gotten busy. We've gotten carried away with the cares of this life. And when we do approach unto God, there's so much distance between us and Him because there's so much that needs to be repented of where we've not, not kept up with our housekeeping, so to speak, that we have to spend the entire time in our prayer closet that we want to spend getting some information from God. We've got to spend it repenting and confessing. Now, don't, don't say that ain't true if you know that repentance is true. If you know that repentance and confession, those are biblical. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That tells me a few things. One, sin must be confessed. But then two, we must be cleansed from unrighteousness to be in fellowship with Him. That's not saying we need to get resaved. That's not saying Calvary didn't do His job. But the book of 1 John deals with sin as a family matter. All through the book of 1 John, it's a family matter. The Bible says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We may have sinned, but He's still our Father. And all through the book of 1 John, we're called little children, beloved. We're called little children over and over and over again. Sin is a family matter. And for the believer, sin definitely is a family matter, and it can cause a disruption of fellowship with our Father. So we've got to be willing to be teachable. When God said, this is what I need you to do, we've got to say, okay, Lord, I'll do that. When He says there's sin in your life, it don't matter if we've got excuses. We've got to say, Lord, you're right. It's sin. We spend a lot more time making excuses for our sin than it'd take just to confess and forsake them. Most of the time, if we're making an excuse for our sin, we're not practicing it anymore anyway. I'm being honest now. This pride thing keeps us from confessing sin more than any other, any other rotten quality in our lives. There's sin that we're no longer practicing that we refuse to confess and repent of before God because we're too prideful to do it. You say, well, I don't know about that preacher. Well, look at the relationship. Look at the relationship between a, a parent and their child. You ever seen them get in one of them tug-of-wars? You ever seen them get in one of those tug-of-wars that spent hours and hours and hours trying to get them to mind or to do, or you did get them to mind and then they sulked the whole time? That's a pride issue. And that's no different in the life of a child of God. It's a pride issue. A lot of times there's sin. We're no longer even practicing. We're just too prideful to confess it and forsake it before the Lord. And we spend more time stubbed up in pride, out of the prayer closet, out of communion with the Lord, than it would take just to confess it, agree with God about it, and ask His forgiveness of it. We've got to have a teachable countenance. But let me give you a final thing. The psalmist says, For I lift up my soul unto thee. There's got to be a time of communion. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. There's got to be a trust in His counsel, for in Thee do I trust. There has got to be a teachableness of countenance, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. But then there's got to be a totality of commitment, if we're going to know the will of God. For I lift up my soul unto Thee. What's David really saying when he says, I lift up my soul unto Thee? He's saying, Lord, everything that I am... I lay on the altar, and I forfeit to you. You remember what he said? He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. When he spoke of all that is within me, he was speaking of his soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. I heard one preacher say, If you go home not worn out from the house of God, you didn't do it right. <laughs> Amen. All that is within me. And so the soul oftentimes is identified with that truth and thought, All that is within me. So when David says, I lift up my soul unto thee, what he's saying is, Lord, all that I am, all that I have, everything that is David, I lift it up to you to do with as you please. You know, a lot of times God would show us his will, but he knows we won't obey his will. I have people ask me sometimes, they'll say, do you think God leads us in the small things? I'm reminded of what G. Campbell Morgan said, the great Bible teacher. Somebody asked him one time, he was at one of these big Bible conferences that they used to have about a hundred years ago. They'd go out to some big big farm out in 
uh, you know, one of the northern states, and, and a lot of times they'd have these big two, three-week Bible conferences and bring teachers in from all over the world. One time a young man asked him, they were having a question and answer time, they asked him, they said, Dr. Morgan, do you think God cares about the little problems in our life? And in a way that only he could answer, he sat back and looked at him and he said, Young man, what problems do you have in life that would be big to God? Stop and let that soak in for a minute. What problems do you have in life that would be big to God? We have no problem. I mean, listen, when the Red Sea needs parted, God just blows on it. (laughs) There's no problem too big for... God's already handled the biggest problem inside of time or outside, which was the sin problem. He's already handled it. There's no problem we have that's too big for God, so there's no problem we have that's too small for God. And if God has concern in the big things in our life, I believe He has concern in the small things in our life. But I believe sometimes that, that He doesn't talk to us about them small things because we haven't been obedient in the big things. And God knows we won't listen. You know that the, the breath of God is precious? Precious. All through the Word of God. Did you, did you know, and I'm not trying to get all technical on you now, but it's just a fact. Did you know that the, uh, both the Hebrew and Greek word, uh, the Hebrew word for spirit is the word breath? And do you know that, the, uh, that in the New Testament it's just the same way in Greek, that the, same, that the word for spirit is breath? And that's why when the Bible says it's God-breathed, speaking of the Word of God, it means it's inspired of the Holy Ghost. And that's confirmed where the Bible says that the uh, men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost. So you say, preacher, what are you driving at? I'm saying this, that the words and voice and breath of God is, is a precious thing. The worlds were created by the breath of God. He spoke it into existence. Do you understand that the Word of God was given by the breath of God? And the Bible says that it's settled forever in heaven, that that the Word of God is exalted above even the name of God. So it's a precious thing for God to speak to us. It's a precious thing. And when God speaks to us, reveals the right way wherein we should walk, and we say, no, thank you, Lord. God's an omnipotent God and an omniscient God. He's sovereign, and He knows exactly when we're going to be obedient and when we're not. Now, I'm not going to get into a whole big conversation about how much responsibility is ours and what God knows and His prescience and His foreknowledge. And we could talk about all those things. But at the end of the day, it don't matter how much God knows. We don't know it. And when we respond in disobedience, we're accountable for it. And I think that oftentimes God would speak to us more if we'd just be more obedient to Him. There's got to be a totality of commitment. Not compartmentalized, not not fencing off sections of our heart and life and saying, Lord, I'll let you graze in these pastures, but I won't let you graze in those pastures. But to take the fences down, to put Christ upon the, the, the proper throne of your heart, the only throne, and say, Lord, whatever you want out of my life, that's what I want for you. I wonder how many of us, and I don't know what God, I don't know what God would do in your life or in mine about this, But I wonder how many of us, if God spoke to us right now about mission work, we'd say, no, Lord, I'm I'm too old for that. No, Lord, I'm incapable of that. No, Lord, there's just too many logistics. How would I go about it? You see, we, we fenced off an area of our heart. I wonder how many of us, if God came and spoke to us about a friend that we've got, 
that's an influence on us that they shouldn't be. Or, or spoke to us about something that we've allowed into our household that shouldn't be in our household. I wonder how many of us, if God, if God just sat down on our hearts right now and spoke to us about apologizing over something. Easy now. I didn't expect it. Don't shout me down. I'm trying to preach here. I'm just being honest now. I wonder how many of us would say, okay, Lord, I lift up my soul unto thee. Oh, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say that. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I wonder how many of us can sing that in sincerity. I wonder how many of us, if God was to test those boundaries, we'd come up short. And I wonder how many of us that are praying for the will of God already know the will of God, but we're scared of it. A totality of commitment. Lord, everything I am, everything I have, and everything I ever will be, I lift up my soul unto Thee, Lord, and I deliver it unto You. Do with it as You will. Do with it as You wish. Only that Your Son may get glory out of it. That ought to be the hard attitude of every born-again believer. I don't know about you, but I know that I need work on that in my life. That's confession time now. I don't have to confess my sins to you, but the Bible does exhort us to confess our faults one to another. That's a fault of mine. Can I be honest? Can your preacher be honest with you? That's a fault of mine. We get comfortable. We got it all planned out. We know how it's going to go. We know what the next step is. But what if God came and interrupted all our plans? Would we be willing to bow the knee to Him to say, Okay, Lord, you're God. I'm not. I'll do whatever you'd have me to do. Or I wonder how many of us, that message was for us this morning. Because God's wrestling with us. We know the will of God. And God's trying to get control over us because we're wrestling with Him over it. Whatever God's dealt with you about, I hope that you'll surrender to Him tonight.